Welcome to the Vanessa Landino podcast. I'm your host, Vanessa Landino. I want to take a moment before we get into Love Matters to thank each and every one of you who are listening to this podcast. The time you have spent listening, your emails, your text messages, your voice messages, your expressions of support mean so much to me. This is obviously a new venture for me, so your encouragement is literally doing what encouragement does, which is putting courage into me. So I want to say thank you. I'm going to do my very best to bring you relevant, concise, workable, applicable content. And I just want to thank you at the start of this week for listening. All right. Up until now, we've been focused on basics, right? In episode one, we talked about growth, what it is, what the conditions are that are necessary for growth. In episode two, we talked about mental health. What are the markers of mental health? Then we talked about emotional health in episode three. And what are the markers of emotional health? How do we nurture it? What does it mean to be an emotionally healthy adult? And then in episode four, we talked about pain, the different types of pain we experience in life and how to work through pain toward growth. So this week, we're going to look at love. The title of this podcast this week is called Love Matters. And so there's a double entendre here, right? We're talking about matters of love, and we're also saying that love matters. This is part one. Next week, we're going to deal with part two. Part one, we're going to talk about what is love? What is it for? Why is it important? Is it merely a religious or a philosophical question? Uh, Or does it have to do with mental and emotional health? And the reality, my friends, is that your capacity to give and receive love, real love, healthy love, is directly connected to your mental and emotional health. All right, let's dive in. What is love? What an enormous subject I've chosen here. I've definitely bitten off more than I can chew. Um, But some knowledge is better than no knowledge. So let's see where we can get to today. Um, I thought we would look at some of the ancient definitions of love and then some of the more modern definitions of love from the psychological literature. Okay. So with those definitions in mind, we're going to be asking ourselves, did I get real love Do I get real love right now in my life? Do I give real love? And what do we do about that from a mental and emotional health perspective? Obvious places to search for ancient definitions of love are the great religions of the world. These are replete, rife with thoughts on love, poetry on love, definitions of love, and practical applications. So let's look at Buddhism. Okay, Buddhism teaches us ideas like loving kindness compassion, the concept of unattachment, okay? So love being expressed in loving kindness toward others, treating them as though they have value, worth, with a gentle approach. Compassion is an orientation toward the story, toward the pain, toward the vulnerability and tenderness of others. And then loving in a way that's unattached, right? We love them in a way in which we know that they do not belong to us. They are their own being. And so we love without ownership or selfish interest. This is wanting the best for another person while becoming aware of our own ego's needs for that person to be a thing or do a thing. Okay, so in Buddhism, we practice the art of loving with release. We release the egoic need for another person and allow them to be who they are and learn to love them in that space. 
you know, in Judaism, love is absolutely um, referred to as an affection for another, a feeling. But even more important than that, in Judaism, love is expressed through action. And the actions of love are stressed even more than the feeling of love. In Christianity, uh, with a Jewish root, the greatest love is expressed through action and specifically through sacrifice. So that famous statement of Jesus is greater love hath none other than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Okay, masculine usage there, but the meaning is universal. So we read a series of behaviors equated with love in the Christian text. Um, We've all heard those famous words, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, right? And so on. So we're hearing some of the same themes, which is that love is not just a feeling, it is implicating a set of actions. Let's skip to modern times. And again, this is a huge subject. We could do podcasts until we die on the definition of love, but we're just going to skim the surface today for our purposes here. More modern sources, um, we might look at the great psychiatrist, psychotherapist, M. Scott Peck. Okay, he wrote a book called The Road Less Traveled. If you haven't read it, run, don't walk and get this book and listen to it or read it. In fact, if you listen to it, by the way, it's Peck reading it, which is really a nice experience. Peck defined love as choosing to act in someone else's best interest, physically, emotionally, or spiritually. Okay, so again, it's the will to do what is in the best interest of another person toward growth. Robert Sternberg, noted psychologist, came up with the triangular theory of love. And this theory contains three points of a triangle, intimacy, passion, commitment. Okay, these are the components of love, the types of love. Vanessa, why are we spending all this time talking about love? This is a podcast on mental health, right? Well, guys, whether we're looking at this through a spiritual lens, which is to say that love is that which connects us to one another, love is that which connects us to the source, to the creator, to the divine. And if we believe that, then we actually are therefore stating that love is our true nature. Okay, Judaism does teach this, so does Islam, that the creator is the greatest source of love. And so the creation is an expression of love. That's a very spiritual understanding of love. But if we're looking at this through an evolutionary lens, it's still relevant. Okay, the evolutionary lens would tell us that mutual affection and actions of protection and care are absolutely what sustained our species throughout the ages and stages of human development, right? If we're looking at this through an emotional, relational lens, which is to say that our sense of belonging, community, and purpose are tied to satisfying relationships with one another, love is still all important. Now, we have this cheesy phrase that love is what makes the world go around, right? There's just a million songs written about this. But what I am going to say is that a human life without love is not a mentally, emotionally vitalized life. I'm going to say that again. A human life without love, real love, not lip service. We're going to talk about that today. Real love is not a mentally, emotionally vitalized life. These definitions of love from ancient belief systems to modern theory move love way past a feeling. And interestingly enough, they all seem to be pointing to the same idea, which is that love is a set of actions that upholds another. Love seems to be a word 
and we have a few of these in our language, in the English language. Um, it's a single word. It's a verb, which is a doing word. It's a noun, a thing word, but it sums up feelings and actions. Okay, so love is a small word, but it has big implications. Just like the word work, for example, means and implies many things. When someone says, I work for a living, they mean I wake up in the morning, right? Or I wake up at night whenever we wake up for work. I go to a specific place. Could be an office, restaurant, construction site, whatever it is. I focus my mind. I perform a series of tasks. And I receive money in exchange for the time I spend and the energy that I give these tasks, right? All of this is implied when someone says, I work. So the word love implies many things too. When we say, I love, or I love you, or I love Joe Bag of Donuts, or whoever it is, fill in the blank, okay? What we are saying is that we want what is best for that person, and we are willing to do a series of actions that are in their best interest, be it mentally, emotionally, physically, or spiritually, okay? The actions of love do the following. They convey and communicate the value of the person who is loved. They uphold the dignity of another person. They reflect the worth of another person, okay? These actions that we call love or loving someone respect the rights and autonomy of another person. They honor the physical body of another person. They protect the heart, the tenderness, the vulnerability, the sensitivity of the human heart. These actions foster optimum growth mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. So, friends, love matters. Love is the food, internally speaking, as it relates to our inner world, okay? It is the food that we are living on. It's the nourishment we need to grow physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, throughout our entire lifespan. So when we say love, we don't just mean falling in love and feeling the rush of dopamine that comes with it, even though that's lovely, it's wonderful, But we're not talking about just a feeling, even a strong feeling of affection toward another, whether that's between romantic partners or a parent and a child or, you know, a a human and a pet. Whatever that relationship is, it's not just a feeling, however strong. It isn't just a personal preference for someone that ends when, when, when the relationship becomes difficult or when they go away, right? Death does not stop love. Love is not an excuse when we fail someone else, okay? Love is not the reason we get away with things. Well, let me off the hook. You know I love you, okay? No. Love is what we give and receive for optimum growth, development, and vitalized living. It is keeping us, our relationships, and this world alive. Now, let's talk about love from the lens of childhood. That's part one. We're going to deal with this this week, and then next week we're going to look at love in adulthood. Childhood. I want to say a couple of things about memories here, okay? Here's the bottom line. You know me, Jersey Blunt. If you can remember it, it matters, and it mattered. Okay, I'm going to say that again. If you can remember it from your childhood, it matters, and it mattered then. Think about this. Think about the millions of interactions and experiences you had as a child. Okay, let's do a little bit of math. From birth to the age of 18, 
you lived 157,680 hours of life. Okay? 157,680 hours of life. You laughed, you cried, you ate lots of foods, you took your first steps, you went to school, you did homework, you felt this way, you felt that way, you went to the bathroom, you fell asleep, you got up, you read things, you watched things, you learned things, you played things, you built things. Okay, you had 157,680 hours filled with stuff. You did stuff. Okay, in those 157,680 hours, you have a few memories some of us more than others, but consider how few memories you have compared to the number of hours you've lived. Think about that. Now, consider this. We don't actually remember our life in hours. We remember moments that are shorter than minutes. So 157,680 hours is 9,460,800 minutes. Vanessa, why are we in a math class? (laughs) I know. I know. I'm having unpleasant flashbacks myself. I'm with you. But we're doing the math, my friends, because I need to make a case for the significance of your memories. So often in therapy, I have people who will roll their eyes and shrug their shoulders. Oh, it happened so long ago. What does it matter? Well, it matters if you remember it. Think about this. In 9,460,800 minutes, you remember only a few moments. So if you can remember it, Whatever it is, little moments in time are important and they matter. Now, what does this have to do with love? Well, your memories of your childhood growing up from baby, toddler, child, preteen, adolescent, all the way through childhood until you leave your parents' house or until you, you know, enter adulthood in, in chronological years, the moments that you have, the memories, pleasant and unpleasant, We could define them a number of ways. One of the ways we could define them is memories of receiving love or receiving an absence of love. Okay? All of those moments contained messages about love or a lack of love. And since this podcast is about mental health and we're really interesting in promoting healing and optimum mental and emotional functioning, in order to heal, we need to know what the wounds are, when they took place, where they took place, and at the core of that recollection is your memory of those tiny moments. Okay, so that's why memory is connected to love. Because if we're going to look at our lives and think, okay, that was loving, that was unloving, I was fed what I needed in that moment, or I didn't get what I needed in one moment or another, we need to know what those memories are and that they're very important. This is what we're doing when we're doing trauma work. This is trauma therapy. This is trauma healing. We're going back into memories, really looking at them through adult eyes. So the memories of pain, of harm that you have could be moments in which you did not receive the love you needed and deserved. This is why memories matter. So forgive me the math, okay? For all of you mathematicians out there, you can check it. Forgive the math, but that's why it matters. Okay, now, when you think back on your growing up years, all of us have unpleasant memories and we have pleasant memories. But I want to highlight a word I just used a moment ago. I said harm, didn't I? Pain that harms us, harms us because the actions we received were not actions of love. Some loving actions, some very loving actions could hurt us at the moment, but they do not cause harm. Here's an example. 
When I started therapy, I started talking about my family of origin for the first time. Okay, your family of origin is the family you grew up in. So I started talking about some memories for the first time. And I remember one conversation with Mary, my first therapist, really, really well. I was recounting a story of a time I um, had peaked at the Christmas presents. So my mother was just a beautiful homemaker, and she wrapped these Christmas presents one year with beautiful bows and feathers and ornaments, and it was just gorgeous. And I was like six or seven years old, and I was curious. I might have been a little bit older, maybe seven or eight. And so all the presents were hidden behind the couch in the family room, which was literally a terrible hiding place. They were just sitting there begging to be picked through. So I went sneaking and I went poking and I opened up some of the presents and I was trying to figure out which ones were for me and could I see on the side of the box what it might be. I mean, I was a little kid, right? Curious about Christmas presents. And when my mother discovered that I had gone through the presents and ruined her beautiful wrapping job, uh, she whipped me for it. Um, she, you know, obviously saw that little hands had pried open the tape and peeled back the bows. And I was curious, you know, very curious, trying to find out what was inside. And she took out a leather belt and she whipped my bare legs until red swollen welts formed on the back of them. My therapist listened with a look of concern and then horror on her face as I told this story. She said, Vanessa, that's abuse. I'll never forget it. It was so sad and definitive the way she said it. And I immediately countered, no, 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 it's not. It's just Colombian. My mother's from Colombia. That's how they discipline children there. And my instinct to do that was what all children do, okay, which is protect their parents by absorbing the pain and the blame. No, Vanessa, I appreciate that your mother is and was brought up in Colombia, but that is physical abuse. Those were Mary's words. And we slowly really unpacked the memories of that story. And I remember um, the feelings that came with it. And I was terrified. I felt humiliated. I was confused. And I remembered all of it as I was retelling the story in therapy. And I realized that that moment actually caused me harm. I was calling it discipline. And within that context, I was believing that my mother did that because she loved me. Okay, but I learned a very important lesson that day in therapy, which is that love does not cause harm. If it caused harm, it wasn't love. Now, my parents were responsible and fair more times than not. Okay, I recall many instances where I was disciplined appropriately. I would come home late from curfew and I might be grounded. I was not trying my best in school, goofing off, and I got reprimanded. Those reprimands, those punishments, they hurt at the time, but they didn't cause harm harm. Those were actions of love. But the whipping was left over from my mother's harsh upbringing. To her, this was how parents molded children's behavior. Okay, but it was harsh in her. It was unhealed in her. And it harmed me. So then that created a pattern in my own life of harshness. Her harshness passed down to me, thankfully not in the form of whipping children, but in other relationships, I was short-tempered, I was sharp-tongued, and I defended it, as my mother did. My mother would have said, you know, in her adorable Colombian accent, Ay, Vanesita, this is just the way that you discipline children. Okay, that was her accent. She was precious. But I would have said in my adult, maybe Jersey accent, whatever, I'm Colombian, I'm Italian, I'm passionate, get over it. Okay, so the same thing was getting passed down. There was a lack of love in this harsh discipline, and I became a woman who had a lack of love 
and a really harsh way of relating, and we were all defending it. So in that therapy session, what I had to realize is that this was not love. It wasn't love. And the reason why it wasn't love is because it caused harm. I had to own it. Her actions weren't loving, and mine weren't either. And I decided at that time, this aggression ends with me. And I'll say more about that in the future, how I did that. So our memories matter, right? That's a, that's a good example of processing a memory that in my mind was wrapped up in a container of loving parents, but actually was not love. And it freed me to not only heal the memory, but to heal the behavior in myself in the present. So we have to call a spade a spade, my friends. All right, this is a little bit of Jersey Blunt here. We got to call a spade a spade. If we ever expect to heal our own wounds and grow into more loving people in our adult lives, we have to call a spade a spade. We can't live in denial about what happened in our childhoods and call it love. We can't ignore or downplay those memories and expect to have healed hearts and healed relationships in the present. We can't do that. So we ask ourselves, okay, ask yourself now. Maybe some unpleasant memories have cropped up. Did the actions of others cause you harm? Was your body hurt, broken, bruised, or violated in any way? Was your heart hurt through harshness, belittling, mockery, negligence, or shame? Was your mind hurt through insults, dismissal, or even condescension? Was your spirit hurt through disconnection and a loss of hope? Just because people are small, okay, otherwise known as children, (laughs) right? Just because people are small doesn't mean that they're not entitled to respect, honor, dignity, and protection. I'm going to say that again. Just because you were small, in other words, you were a younger human, you were a child, does not mean that you were not entitled to respect, honor, dignity, and protection. Actions that came from good love, genuine healthy love, may have hurt us in the moment. And for a moment. That could be a just punishment. um, a, A loving but a firm reprimand, okay? But they didn't fundamentally change us for the worse. In fact, they changed us for the better. We learned a lesson. Might have hurt, but it changed us for the better. Actions that lack love do change us, but it's for the worse. We become more fearful, more ashamed, less trusting of others, less trusting of ourselves and the world in general. Love And actions coming from love, which is synonymous, those actions create feelings of trust, warmth, closeness, confidence, and peace. Actions that come from a lack of love create rage, loneliness, fear, distrust, distance, and stress. Love encourages us to know ourselves, to like ourselves, and to love ourselves. A lack of love keeps self-knowledge out of reach. 
And therefore, we can't develop a like for ourselves or a love for ourselves because we don't know ourselves. You can't love yourself if you don't know yourself. And actions that come from a lack of love don't allow self-knowledge. They don't encourage self-knowledge. They actually encourage a false self. So we need to know what love is, what love does, and what love produces so that we can look at our lives and ourselves honestly and promote healing within and, guys, surprise, surprise, in the world. The world heals at the rate that we heal ourselves. So love matters. Now, some of us heard the words, I love you from parents, from siblings, from others, from cousins, aunts, uncles, whoever it was. We heard those words, I love you. And for some of us, those words were true. No one is perfect. No parent is perfect. No set of parents is perfect. However, more often than not, loving action took place. So we heard, I love you, and we felt valued, wanted, respected, safe, encouraged. Okay? That's congruent. I love you and the person feels loved. For some of us, we heard those words, but they didn't mean much. Okay, we heard I love you, but our hearts felt unseen, unknown, unprotected, and in really, really sad cases, even just dehumanized. The feeling of being dehumanized is the feeling of being treated like an object. And that is what results when we are abused when we're traumatized through child abuse, any kind of child abuse, emotional, psychological, sexual, spiritual, physical. It also comes through narcissistic family systems, okay? Narcissism is when the parent is treating the child as an extension of themselves rather than their own person in their own right. So the parent does indeed, quote unquote, love the child, okay, using that word in quotations, but only as an extension of himself or herself. That child may be adored, doted on, protected, served in many ways, but the underlying message is that you are just an extension of me. It is not about you. It is about me. So the child's true self, their rightful autonomy is not upheld. The child has to be what will bring the parent the most reward. So this is not love. It's objectification. When children are treated as objects, they're objectified. When they're treated as an extension of the family, an extension of the parents, really the parents' ego, that is dehumanizing. So the child may hear, I love you, I love you, but what they feel is unseen and unknown and unvalued. For some of us, we didn't hear the words often, but we got all the actions of love. Okay, so children in those types of family systems actually feel loved. They develop the gifts associated with loving action, um, confidence, worth, value, a sense of belonging. They may have not heard the words, but their bodies know that they were loved. And for some of us, we didn't hear it and we didn't feel it and we never learned it. And that's a hard road of healing. And it's possible, but it's hard. So in those situations, we need to learn what love is. We need to heal those wounds that the lack of love delivered and begin that brave work of starting to know ourselves and love ourselves. So, you know, loving children doesn't mean giving them everything they want. That's not what it meant for us. That wouldn't have been love. It doesn't mean subjecting them to brutal lessons about life at every turn, right? Not every moment is a teachable moment. Kids have to be able to be kids and be silly. Loving children, it doesn't mean a lot of things, but it does mean this. It means treating them with dignity, respect, and providing strong responsible authority 
for them. Some of us, because of our own upbringings, we, we, we have a hard time with the word authority. We don't like the word discipline. They sound harsh, and it's because our examples of authority were too weak or too strong, and the discipline we received was probably more abuse or punishment. Just sidebar, the word discipline means training through repetition. That's all it means. And we all needed it as children. Our children need it now. So what are the actions of love as it pertains to children? Playing with them. Okay, this communicates that they're worth the investment of time, that their world is worth entering into. We encourage imagination and creativity in play, listening to them. This communicates that their thoughts and feelings have value, therefore their minds and their hearts have value, therefore they have value, right? Disciplining them. This communicates that they're strong enough to handle the expectations of life. This ultimately develops confidence in the child and self-discipline, self-regulation, instructing them. When we do this with patience and gentleness, it communicates to them that they're intelligent, that they can complete tasks. They can be responsible. They can be a contributing member of a group. You know, first their family, then their friend group, then their classroom, then their work environment. This develops confidence. Children that aren't given instruction and just sort of left to do their own thing all the time or they're, they have high expectations but no instruction going along with it develop a lot of anxiety. We give them structure. This communicates that they can develop a sense of safety in the world. We needed structure, and children need structure now. They need routine. They need to know what's coming. They need predictability. Gives them a sense of control, a healthy sense of control over their choices and their environments. Children need support. This is an action of love. This communicates that their endeavors, their interests, their talents, their gifts are important to the family and to the community. So notice that these actions of love, playing, investing, listening, disciplining, instructing, structuring, supporting, all of these actions of love communicate concepts to the child about the child. Those concepts that are communicated are that they are valued, strong, confident, intelligent, contributing, safe, in control in a healthy way, and an important part of their world. So parents who say these things to their children but don't treat the child as if these things are true do not communicate the concepts to the child. The child will not believe it if it's heard. They have to believe it in action. So unless the child is treated as though each and every one of these things is true, and they are true, the child won't believe it. So this is the problem with lip service. We can say or hear those words, I love you, all day long. But if we're not treated with kindness, respect, dignity, autonomy, and honor that we deserve, particularly as children, we don't get it. We actually don't learn it from the words. We learn it from how we were treated, okay? We believe how we were treated, not what we heard. So when a child is told that they matter, but their parents don't make the time to play with them or really listen to them, they're going to struggle to believe that. When a child is told to have confidence, but they are shot down, their ideas are belittled, 
they may struggle to develop confidence. When a child is told that they are strong and smart, but the expectations placed on them are beneath their level of development, competency, or maturity, they will actually struggle to believe that they are strong and smart. After all, you're not treating me like I'm strong and smart, so why should I believe I'm strong and smart, right? When a child is told that they're special, they're so special, you're so special, you're so unique, but their unique self is not celebrated, they will not believe that, okay? And typically when that unique, authentic self is not celebrated is when it doesn't match the parental expectation of the child. Parents want the child to be one way, the child is another way, and the child doesn't really get that message that it's okay to be you, it's wonderful to be you. When a child is told, I love you, but they don't feel safe, emotionally, psychologically, physically, in their own home, they will not believe it. So this is why love matters. The love we received or didn't receive as children mattered. Why? Because love conveys a message. Actions of love convey messages. So this isn't about blaming parents. It's not about pointing fingers. It's not about pointing fingers at ourselves. But it is about getting clear what was love, what wasn't love, and what needs to heal. So I want you to ask yourself about your limiting beliefs. Do you believe that you are of great value, that the world needs your talents, your voice, your heart, and your thoughts? Do you believe that you are worthy of the highest respect and the most sincere appreciation? Do you believe that your true self is a gift to this world? Do you see yourself as strong, competent, capable, and effective exactly as you are. If you do believe these beautiful truths, and they are true, you had wonderful parenting and or you've done a lot of work on yourself, and I congratulate you. But if you don't, if some of these things feel true, if some of them don't, eh, I kind of believe that, but not so much this. Okay, that's normal. Let's do some work this week. Notice which feelings, thoughts, and memories stand out to you. Maybe something stood out to you during this podcast. Maybe it's time to talk to a professional about these memories. Maybe it's time to say, my parents didn't give me the discipline I needed, and that wasn't loving. Maybe my parents were too harsh, and that wasn't loving. I think love is this. This felt loving. This didn't. We've got to get clear on this, guys. We've got to call a spade a spade. Here's a huge secret about mental health. Huge secret. Mentally healthy people love themselves just as they are. Mentally healthy people accept themselves as they are. I'm not talking about conceit or arrogance. No, I'm talking about people who love themselves in practical action. They know who they are. They know their heart. They know their body. They know their mind. And they care for themselves in ongoing ways. This is mentally healthy. And in order to do this effectively, we need to know what love is. We need to know what loving behavior feels like, looks like, sounds like, right? We need to know what unloving behavior is and does to us. And we need to know what beliefs we've developed based on the actions of others. Not their words necessarily, but their actions. Because words can hurt, harm, and heal. Actions can hurt, harm, and heal. This is why love matters. All right, this was part one. We mostly dealt with childhood, the foundation of our relationships, the imprint of love. 
Let's tune in next week. We're going to talk about how love matters in adulthood. Until then, listen to me. Your soul work is to discover who you truly are and learn to love that human being. Hopefully this week, this makes a little bit more sense. Thank you for tuning in. Please check out and follow the blog at VanessaLandino.com. This podcast is recorded in Nashville, Tennessee. This was edited by Jared Bentley. I'm Vanessa Landino, and you just listened to the Vanessa Landino Podcast.